0: perfect hymns for this text. Thanks so much. Hebrews chapter 1, once more this morning, we we could say, and we would not be wrong, that uh, the book of Hebrews is a book about listening, listening to what God has said once and for all in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is God's clear and final word, and as such, we've found is the intended culmination of everything God had spoken prior to him. Jesus interprets and explains everything that God wants to communicate to us. If we don't listen to him, we can't endure to the end, and we must endure to the end. The author of Hebrews doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts to keep us from falling away from him. He, he gives us Jesus and his once and for all, sacrifice for sins, and says throughout the letter in different ways, fix your eyes on him and you will endure, neglect him, replace hoping in Jesus alone with outward religious moral traditions, and you won't endure, you'll fall away. The first four verses of chapter one told us that God has spoken clearly and finally in Jesus, but they also tell us why we should listen to Jesus as the clearest and final word from God. And we got seven reasons. He is the heir of all things. He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by the word of God's power. He made purification for sins. And he is now seated at the right, the right hand of God himself, the place of ultimate authority in the universe. And so the implication is throughout the rest of the letter that if he is the one speaking to us now, and he is, then we must listen. And so the rest of chapter one is meant to reinforce the supremacy of what God has said through Jesus over the ways that God had spoken in the past and over what God had spoken in the past. When God gave the law, The message was mediated to Moses through angels, but here in these last days, God has spoken to us by Jesus himself with a message even more reliable, more important, and therefore even more urgent. Giving even closer attention to the gospel is the only way, the only way to prevent drifting away from it. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. I'll read to 13, but we'll make our way this morning, God willing, to 2, 4. 4. To which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says... He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says. So what we're about to read is God speaking of the Son, Jesus Christ. When the text calls him firstborn, it doesn't mean Jesus was born at one point and he didn't exist before that. It means he's the most preeminent of all creation. But of the Son, in verse 8, God says... Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. This is God speaking to Jesus. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for its perfection and its sufficiency that culminate in and through your son, Jesus Christ, and testify to us of him. And so, Lord, I ask you that you would overshadow me today, that, Lord, you would speak from this text through your messenger, Lord, that you would be heard, that your son would be proclaimed, that he might be listened to above all others. And so, Lord, would you help everyone who hears. We ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews preaches the Old Testament to us in light of its fulfillment. In Jesus, The author's comprehensive use of the Old Testament here to witness to the supremacy of Jesus helps us understand why Jesus said the things that he did when he was here, that Moses wrote of him, that the scriptures bear witness to him, that he's revealed in the law and the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus doesn't just happen to appear in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written, we're finding, to testify to Jesus Christ on purpose. That was the point. Even the words of the Old Testament now then are mediated to us in Christ. We know that we know what they're saying only when we read them through the interpretive lens of who Jesus is and what Jesus has fulfilled. And so the Old Testament references here relate perfectly to everything the author told us about Jesus in the first four verses. He's the son and the heir. He is creator. He is eternal. His nature is divine. He's been exalted to God's right hand. And so the author gives us three pairs of Old Testament quotations here. The first pair in verse 5 from Psalm 2.7 and 2 Samuel 7.14 proclaim that Jesus is superior to the angels because of his unique relationship to the Father. He is the divine Son. The second pair of quotations in 6 and 7 from Deuteronomy 32.43 and Psalm 104 verse 4 Focus on the positive but inferior position and ministry of the angels. They worship the son, so they're beneath him and they were created to be messengers like wind, like fire. The third pair of quotations in verses 8 through 12 from Psalm 45, 6, and 7 and Psalm 102 verses 25 to 27 focus back on the son and his eternal, unchanging nature. And then verse 13 brings them all together. It culminates to focus on the enthronement of this son as God's anointed king from Psalm 110 verse 1. Which means, when you put all that together, means that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the covenant promise made to David back in 2 Samuel 7 when God said he would never lack a man to sit on the throne. All of this applies ultimately, finally, to Jesus The moment he ascended back to the Father, after his purifying work for sin was accomplished, his enthronement today, in verse 5, is the day that he sat down at the right hand of God, in verse 13. That's where Jesus is now, while all his enemies are being made into a footstool for his feet. Beloved, as you look out on the world, and the evil that seems to be so victorious, do not forget what is actually happening. God is in the process of shoving every single one of these enemies underneath the feet of his son so that he might rest his feet on them. Don't ever forget that. Ever. So here's the author's point in verses 5 to 13. Because Jesus is the king that God promised David would reign on his throne forever and because Jesus is the very son of God himself, he is superior to every other messenger that has come from God. Look at verse 14. Are they, these other messengers, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvations? Angels are ministering spirits. They're subordinate to the son. They worship and serve the son. So by the way, if, if a, just if a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness were to show up at your door, Believing as they do that, that Jesus is not God, but he is a, another angel. He and Lucifer are brothers. Don't take them to John 1. They'll argue articles in Greek with you. Take them to Hebrews 1. Take them to Revelation and say, the angels worship the Son. He is above them. They're not one and the same. Angels are ministering spirits. They're subordinate to the Son. They worship and serve the Son. And to be specific... They engage in ministry for the sake of those who will inherit salvation because of their unique relationship to the Son, the superior Son. They do his bidding for our sakes. The heirs of salvation, those who inherit what Christ obtained once and for all, when he made purification for sins then, are highly favored, highly advantaged. The author establishes Jesus as God's supreme messenger who brings God's supreme message. And so the author at the outset of this letter is pressing a question. Why would you listen to any other voice when every other voice is inferior to Jesus? And it's the supremacy of the son that provides the basis for the first of those five Warning passages we talked about last week in Hebrews here at the beginning of chapter 2. Let me read the first four verses. Therefore, right because the Son is God's supreme, clear, and final word. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There is absolutely nothing in this life more important Nothing in this life more important than responding correctly to what God has spoken to us by his son Jesus Christ. That's the crucial theme of Hebrews. And precisely what they're being called to pay much closer attention to in verse 1 is the great salvation won for us by this son Jesus Christ in verse 3. This passage is to get their attention and ours. They're in danger of not listening to and believing the message that Jesus delivered, the message of great salvation, the message of the gospel. That's why he brought up the angels, not necessarily because they had been worshiping them or overvaluing them, but because they were thinking, this, this, these Christians were thinking of going back to what God had brought to us through angels, the law, the old covenant system, when God had spoken to us now once and for all by his son And the author says, listen, if what was said to them through angels, talking about the law covenant that was given in the Old Testament, it was mediated to Moses through the angels. They brought it to him. If that had sanctions that were severe, if breaking that brought punishment, if that word was reliable, how do we figure we'll escape if we neglect, if we turn away from what God has said to us in his supreme son? That was declared to us clearly by that Son, in that Son, Jesus. Then it was proclaimed through the apostles. Then God the Father verified and confirmed it even more by miraculous signs and gifts given by his own Holy Spirit. The author is telling us the whole triune Godhead mediated this message to us, not angels. So the answer to the question, how can we escape God's punishment if we neglect that is We can't and we won't if we neglect it. The warnings are how God keeps his sheep in the fold. If we neglect it, we will not avoid the punishment. Those that have heard the gospel have heard Jesus himself. God has spoken clearly in him, way clearer and with much more revelation than he did through the angels. There is no escape from this God. Eternity is Coming, we have rebelled against a king and he will settle accounts and all of us must reckon with what God has said once and for all through Jesus Christ in the gospel and in the gospel alone the author even says here this is interesting he even says we must pay much closer attention lest we drift away how shall we escape he's including himself in the warnings This warning is to all of us, beloved. The gospel of Jesus Christ requires more attention from the believer than the law does. It's precisely what scripture teaches. Yet we honestly think that the gospel is simply this two or three sentence message that gets us in the door. And then we have to move on from it onto the real things, the deeper things, the true things, the law, so that we can grow. We leave the gospel behind if we want to mature as believers. It's elementary. We honestly believe we'll become more and more righteous by focusing on how we might better obey the law. The problem is the scripture. The scripture teaches that paying closer and closer attention to the law will not keep us from drifting away from Jesus. It will not do it. Closer attention to the gospel, the message of great salvation, is what prevents drifting. Nothing else. Nothing else. Everything else ultimately is just noise. Noise that you can't listen to and expect to stay on course. God is telling his people here, please hear me. God is telling us that there's a priority given to one specific thing among all the things he has revealed to us. There is a priority to his revelation. And what he has said by Christ in the gospel is what is of what Paul calls first importance in First Corinthians 15. Not like so you can leave it behind as long as you know somewhere deep in your mind, oh yeah, that's that's the most important thing. That's not how you treat the most important thing. Like it's, I know it's the most important thing, but we don't talk about it that much. I know it's the most important thing, but like you leave it behind. What he has said by Christ in the gospel, that salvation gets more attention. It gets more attention than even everything else in the Bible. What did the author just do in verses 5 through 13 anyway? Tell us that the whole book testifies to Jesus. The message that is proclaimed about Jesus in the message of the gospel has all the priority in scripture. That's how we must read the Bible. The only thing with the power to actually fight our flesh and fight the pull of the world and fight the deceitful schemes and lies of the evil one The only thing that has the power to save is the message of great salvation revealed to us in the gospel. It's the only message sufficient to save us at the beginning. It's the only message sufficient to hold us in the middle. And it's the only message that is sufficient enough to save us and see us through to the end. That's why it gets the priority and nothing else does. Nobody's getting in without it. But the author of Hebrews says, very interestingly, he doesn't say we're in danger of outright apostasy, which, which, of course, in a sense, we always are. The danger, though, the immediate danger is drifting away from it. Hear the Holy Spirit's inspired word choice there in verse 1. Drifting. We're, again, we're, we're not in danger so much, or at least not immediately, of blatantly denying the gospel's power or value, right? We're, we're not in danger so much of reading the wrong books, although that can be a problem, or becoming Jehovah's Witnesses or something. We're, really, we're in danger of staring at the charts and memorizing and learning all this information but forgetting to use the rudder until we drift away from the destination without ever even realizing it. Apostasy, falling away, neglecting the gospel doesn't usually come in one moment and it doesn't usually come on purpose. It happens without us even knowing it. That's what drifting is. You don't realize you're doing it while you're doing it. It's what happens when a ship's captain isn't intentional about his course. Beloved, don't, don't yearn for more. Fight the temp. Don't yearn for more. Don't yearn for new. Don't yearn for innovative. Pay much closer attention to what we've already heard. We've all done it. We've all been driving and looked down at our phone or gotten into a conversation or gotten lost in thought and realized at just the last second by God's mercy that we veered off the side of the road or we're about to smash into a car that's Stopped in front of us, attention is deliberate right it it doesn 't just attention does not just happen right we we won 't stay on course then just by coming to church right for some of us and this is not a for some of us that is literally the extent of our faith we We, we attend and are members of a church right well that that 's not paying much closer attention to what we've heard, right? We won't stay on course just by coming to church. We won't stay on course by memorizing verses or reciting religious phrases. You know how many canned phrases we have in the faith that we don't even question whether or not they're correct? We just use them over and over and over and over again. We have like our own little subculture And we know what each other mean because we use these phrases. We use them for 50, 100 years. We don't question their value. We don't question their truth. We don't question their objectivity. We just say them. And it makes us like, that's right, I'm a part of that group. I use the phrases. I know the code words. You won't stay on course by singing the songs. You won't stay on course by using the right words. You can be drifting and still be in the boat. Drifting isn't always choosing an apostate cult or something. You might be in the boat and be miles away from resting in Christ alone. You might be in the boat paying zero attention to where you're going. Not drifting is something that happens because we are intentional about something else, very specific according to the Bible. Any study of the Bible or proclamation of it that doesn't have this message of great salvation, the gospel we already know and have already heard, any study of the Bible that doesn't have that as its deliberate and explicit and constant center, run from it. Please, or you will drift. Drifting by definition is precisely what happens when we assume that we already know the gospel. When we assume that we've gotten it when we assume that we need to move on to deeper things as if we could ever get deeper than the word God has spoken to us once and for all in these last days by his son. What's deeper than that? What's better than that? What's more important than that? What author takes precedent over that? What study takes precedent over Jesus? A word of great salvation. God did not communicate the law through his son. He did that with angels. Great salvation was communicated through his son. And we must pay closer attention to what we've heard. That which has been spoken by Jesus. Leaving the gospel happens because we drift. Right? We drift away from it. It's slow. It happens over time. It's the result of neglecting how central and supreme it is. It's subtle. It's undetected. That's why he says much closer attention is needed. It's so clear. How can we ignore it? When someone says, yeah, yeah, we, the gospel, we, we've got that. We've got that. Or everything can't be about the gospel. We need to train ourselves to say, yes, it can. It is And I have to pay much closer attention to it. So don't try to pull me away from it. Don't tempt me and make me think that other things will keep me level. Don't. Help me pay much closer attention to the gospel. Maybe you don't need that twenty four seven. I do. I'm defecting. If Christ isn't preserving me by his blood and righteousness until I get to bed, I will defect. I'm saved completely by grace through faith in him. Nothing else is going to save me. Beloved, there is absolutely, if we're talking quantitatively, of course there is more information to learn in the Bible, more information to learn in the Bible than the content of the gospel. I fully understand that. However, we have not been commanded to pay much closer attention to any of the other information. It is not that we pay no attention to it. Absolutely not. It's that we've been commanded to pay much closer attention to one part of it. Great salvation. The gospel. Moving on to other things is precisely how you drift away. Right? Because we don't realize the priority... So, so we 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 latch onto a million other things other than the message of great salvation. We don't realize we're drifting. Part of the reason we don't realize we're drifting is because we're measuring our faith by our performance. And so if our performance is going well, if our lives are getting better, we think everything's fine because we treat God so transactionally, right? If, if you do good, you'll be blessed. If you do bad, you'll be cursed. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Job. Tell it to anybody in the Bible. There isn't more to Christianity than the gospel. The, the gospel is Christianity. The, the, moving on to other things is precisely how we drift away. That, that's what neglecting it is. You don't spend enough time with it. That's what neglect is. Right? We can do that with the gospel, the message of great salvation. We can do that. We can just not pay enough attention to it. We can leave it over in the corner. Just what happens to a relationship if you neglect it? It erodes the entire relationship. And if there's a way to not do that, you just, all it takes is much closer attention to it. We have to ask ourselves, if our relationship is eroding, what is happening? What are we going to try to fix it with? Right? Probably more law. I need to buckle down, get more serious, rededicate my life. No, you need to focus on Christ and the message of great salvation, and he will bring you all the way home. And there's not another way. There's plenty of ways to become a Pharisee. There's one way to get to Jesus. He's much more than a mere ministering spirit sent from God to help us out through the tough times. Or sent from God to help us realize our potential. You see, Jesus is way more than that. He's our only Lord and Savior. And this warning sets the tone for the rest of the whole letter. Jesus is more. He is higher. He is clearer. He is better than everything that has come before him. From angels to covenants to people. We are never told to pay much closer attention to the law. Ever. Ever or to numbers or signs or dates or names or any of those other things. They can't save us. They can't get us through. Only Jesus can save you. And not Jesus and, just Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. It's time for us Nobody ever thinks Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 is talking to them. right? It's time for us to pay much closer attention to the message of Jesus in the gospel. That's where he's spoken. That's what we need to listen to. All we have for people, all we have for Moundsville is the gospel. But that's all we need. The Church of Jesus Christ is not a therapy center. It's not a business. I wish we knew that. It's not a business. It isn't a place for Christians to be recognized or glorified or made much of. It's not a pipeline for people's creative self-expression. We are the very embassy of heaven right here in the Ohio Valley. And the minute we step out of being exclusively Christ proclaimers... We become just another organization or club quaintly trying to make the world a better place or our community a better place without the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're nothing. We've just reinvented the wheel of charity. But that's, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We have the gospel. That's what makes us unique. That's what makes us tick. That's what makes us relevant. Always relevant. You have to shift anything. To become relevant. There's nothing more relevant in the cosmos than the message of great salvation proclaimed once and for all by Jesus Christ here in the last days. Nothing! We've not been sent to scratch every itch the world feels. We've been sent to proclaim a message of amnesty from a king who is about to invade. We have one message to proclaim. One. The message of great salvation. It's worth fighting for. It's worth dying for. Even if that means our fight is against people that profess to be Christians but don't want the focus to be just on the message of great salvation. There's only one way to reconcile and heal two warring spouses. There's only one way to reconcile and heal wayward or rebellious children. There's only one way to reconcile and heal a church from the bitterness and deceit and mistrust and plotting that have so damaged and constantly corrupt her. And it's the message of great salvation in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. There isn't another way. There isn't another message. We we all know the frustration of trying to make people, for example. We all know the frustration of trying to make people understand that gun control laws won't stop criminals from getting guns. Right? I, we totally understand that. Most of us probably agree with that. That that laws aren't going to keep criminals from getting guns. We know that. We know that laws won't change the heart of a person bent on murder. If they can't get a hold of a gun, they'll get a hold of something. Right? We know that the law won't change a heart out there? Why don't we believe it in here? Right? Why do we think that the law in here, more moral laws, more regulations in the church will keep sinners from sinning? No, they won't. Won't keep anybody from drifting. We must fight with ruthless dedication for the centrality of this message of great salvation in the church, in our homes, in Moundsville, in this valley. What if you live here and you always have maybe because God sent you here for the purpose of proclaiming this message? What if you were sent where you live? What if God's placing of you here and his salvation of you and he's placed you in the home you're in by the neighbors you have so that when they are groping around and trying to figure out what to do, you'll be there to proclaim this message of great salvation with them. I didn't make that up. The book of Acts teaches this. Every single one of us in this room has been sent to this community. And if we move, we're sent to that community. This is the truth. This everything in our lives revolves around this message of great salvation. Trust the message spoken by Jesus. God knows what he's doing for us in telling us to pay much closer attention to this than anything else. That, that, that implies a priority in what you pay attention to. There are things we can know That we don't need to pay attention to, right? They're just things that we know. Things that we don't, things that we know that we don't pay any attention to, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of great salvation is not one of those things. Beloved, we can't simply know it. I, I, I don't doubt for a second that I I would imagine 99% of us know the message of great salvation. That's not my point. He isn't calling anybody ignorant or stupid. That's not his point. It's not my point. I can't simply know it, though. I must deliberately and intentionally fix the eyes of my soul on it. The issue here is not whether we know it or not. Nobody's arguing that. The issue here is the level of attention we give to it in the midst of all the other voices, even the ones that came from God before Jesus. If the word of God is true, then we don't need less of the gospel. We don't need to move on from it. We need more of it. We need to hear it more. We almost need forced to pay much closer attention to it because we don't naturally drift towards it. We naturally drift away from it. Adam's DNA is still pulling at my soul and your soul all the time. We need more of it. We need to listen more. And just when we think, I've probably paid enough attention to this, we need to pay even closer attention to it. Everything we do, from children's programs to music to Sunday school to youth to preaching to Bible studies, everything needs to clearly and constantly proclaim the transforming, saving power of Jesus in the message of great salvation all the time, very clearly, very consistently, or it is defective regardless of the results and is much more likely to make us drift than it is to take us closer to Jesus. Beloved, look at the pronouns in verse 1 and verse 3 of chapter 2. The Holy Spirit inspired these words. These are the words of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to his church. This is God speaking to us. That's what scripture is. We were always meant to read the word we in Hebrews chapter 2. You realize that? The fight for staying fixated on Jesus in his message of great salvation is the fight in the church. We have to keep. Saying that is the fight in the church. It always has been. And yet we tend to worry about mice while lions devour. Where do our preferences or complaints or agendas or traditions, where do they fit in the church's biblical mandate to stay centered on Christ? Where do they fit? What place do we give them? What priority do we give to those things? The church of Jesus in every age is in danger of drifting away and neglecting this word of great salvation. It's, I know there are other things going on, but at some point the church has to listen to its head. To Jesus, I mean, not me. Right? Beloved, there is a war going on for your soul all the time. At the very least, when we come into this place, when we gather here, no matter what the reason is, Jesus comes front and center. So that we're reminded, that's right, I can't survive if you don't give me Jesus. I'm telling you. And I mean it with all my heart, because when this day, if this day comes, I won't realize it's come. It will have mean I drifted. If I get up here and start preaching anything but Christ, don't let me finish the sermon. The church of Jesus in every age, because the Word of God is alive. In every age, we need Hebrews 2, 1-4. Our tendency is to drift away from it because our flesh is still tied to the world. We are genetically predisposed, literally. We are spiritually probable and mentally inclined to doubt the power and the necessity of the message of great salvation, the gospel. It's in our blood, it's in our minds, it's in our DNA to question the sufficiency and beauty of Jesus in the gospel. These verses always have been, they are and they always will be a warning for us. Drifting away and neglecting is a danger for us here at Moundsville Baptist Church. At every church, all the time, all the time. So this morning, I'm I'm calling out to you who are drifting, to those of you who have gotten weary with the truth about Jesus. I'm calling out to you who maybe had some experience when you were a kid or something, or your family just brought you to church all the time, or your upbringing. And so you just you just kind of grandfathered into this whole following Jesus thing. I'm talking to you. I'm calling out to you. I'm calling to you who are worn out by the nonsense and the politics that take place in the church. I'm calling to you who are consumed by it and don't even realize it. That doesn't make me your enemy. calling out to you who have experienced suffering and trial and sorrow. And every day is a weight and you are disillusioned with God. I'm calling out to you. You don't know if you believe the gospel is sufficient for you. I'm calling out to you. I'm calling out to you whose souls are on life support right now. Everything you're going through. I'm calling out to you. Get back on course. Come back. Fix your eyes on Christ. He'll get you all the way home. Come back. Set your course for true north. Now is the time. Pay even closer attention to the information you already know. Now is the time. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. Jesus is true north. Come back. Come back. The defense against drifting. Drifting is one thing, even closer attention, even closer attention to the message of God's great salvation in Jesus Christ, nothing less, nothing more. Beloved of God, bride of Christ, follower of Jesus, believer in him, fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him. And if you don't know him, you never have believed in Jesus, we are calling out to you. Don't you know that he will save? Right now. Right now. Come to him. It's just the same message for everybody, isn't it? Come to him. June's going to come and play. I'll pray. We'll sing together. The front is open If you need to come and pray for any reason, I can pray with you or you can pray alone, whatever you'd like to do. If you'd like to join our church, if you'd like to be baptized and testify publicly to the greatness of Christ in doing that, we invite you to come. Let me know. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, on this Heritage Sunday where we remember, Father. I mean, there's so much good to remember. There's no question. But, Lord, may we not soon forget that our eyes ultimately belong in one place. So, Lord, I pray that all of us would look to you this morning, that all of us would look to you. You know, deep down into the heart of every person in this room, nobody, we can all hide from each other. Nobody can hide from you. And that's not always bad news. Lord, save Sustain, keep, help, draw near, we ask and pray through the name of your supreme son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to thank you. I know it's been in, uh, on the prayer request for a while, but I deeply appreciate my wife and I, all your prayers for our son. Uh, I appreciate that so much and, uh, hopefully we'll be, hopefully all will go well and we'll be back Wednesday and everything will be fine. That's what we're praying for. But thank you all so much. It really does mean the world to us. I, can I have the four that were baptized? Would you all come to the front, please? Kaylee and Rosie and Anthony and, uh, Ellie, if they're here. All right, there you go. Anthony, did you sit all the way in the back in the top row of the balcony? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Where's We have all four of them, I hope. Oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Hope. Then we're waiting on. They were okay. That's all. That's all right. Rachel Rose Hope and Kaylee Emma McElvain Let me. I'll tell you what. I'm going to go ahead and we'll close in prayer. I'm going to give them their certificates. They'll be here shortly. Please come by and say hello and shake their hand, give them a hug, whatever it is. But just welcome them into the body of Christ with us. All right. I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer, and they'll be here in the front for you. Let me. Let me close. Father, we thank you again. For your Son Jesus Christ, for the message of great salvation, Father, I pray that uh, you would pull us back, pull us back to the ship Lord, get us get us on course, enable us to look to you for all things, and Lord, I pray that you would watch over your church today, watch over every person and family as they go. I pray that we 'd have a wonderful night tonight as we uh, celebrate in song and with food and uh, all these things that you 've given us to make our hearts merry Lord, we give you thanks and so Uh, Father, we look to you for everything. We trust you. You are our Lord and our God. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.